Well, good afternoon and greetings again in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus. He is worthy all our praise. First of all, I want to thank Brandon and Loretta for drawing what I asked them to draw. appreciate it very much, much, much better than what I could have done. Which one are you? See some people down here in the miry clay. Here's someone that is working their way up the rock. Here's someone that's on the rock, but looking back this way. And here's one that is, has his hands raised, pointing towards the cross. Which one are you today? Which is the one that is going to be effective today in Seattle? Is it this one? Is it this one? What about him or her? You're one of those. So, one of those. I want to tell, start off with telling a story. A friend of mine, we were, we grew up together. Actually, he's my cousin. Grew up together about the same age. Well, when we got into our teen years, even though both our hearts were not right, we kind of went separate paths because he went, got involved in things that I did not feel clear with. Sin things. <clears throat> and I kind of justified myself and said that I was not as bad as what he was. God did a work in my heart and I repented as far as I knew how. Later on, God did another work in my heart. I believe in many works of grace in the life of an individual. It's not just based on one time. And I'm not, by, by me saying that, I'm not saying that you can become born again, born again, born again. I'm talking about God's grace being poured out upon your life time and time again. Later on, we both married, we both had children. And I got involved in some mission work in the state of New Mexico. We moved there. And one evening I got a phone call from my cousin. And he said, Brother John. And I knew in order for him to call me brother, something happened. But something happened before that happened in his life. As someone invited him along, invited him along to, I think it was Alabama, to a prison ministry. And this brother that invited him to go along to that prison ministry was converted, but he was pretty sure that my cousin wasn't. Even though my cousin had then become part of their church, looked good on the outside, took communion, was baptized, took communion, he, he looked pretty good from the outside, but his heart was very, inwardly was very corrupt. And this brother, or this brother in Christ, knew that he did not have a testimony for the Lord. So he said to him, he said, I want you to go along with me to a prison ministry. We're going to go tell these, these uh, prisoners about the Lord. And 
He didn't want to make it appear that he didn't have a testimony for the Lord. He didn't want to say no. And the brother kept saying, were you going along? And he, in his heart, he knew that he did not have a testimony. And yet he didn't want to say no because that would make him look like he wasn't interested in reaching the souls of others. And it was a, it was a turmoil. When they got there, they were assigned separate prisoners to, to get to know. And of course, he didn't have a testimony. He looked good on the outside. He appeared to be religious. He appeared to be right. But when it came down to it, and he said, you know, he is sitting. How many of you ever been in a prison? How many have ever sat where there's a window between you and the prisoner? And you're talking and communicating. Now, supposing I don't have a testimony for the Lord, and here's Nathan. He's in drugs or has tattoos all over him and, and everything. And, and I'm sitting on this side. And I don't have a testimony for the Lord and I'm along with this group that is supposed to have all the answers of life. <laughs> that's right. And that's how it went. That evening, one of the other brothers got up and preached and was preaching to the prisoners. But when that invitation was given, my cousin was up at the altar, the first one. And actually the brother that had invited him along, he pulled him along. And they both came to the altar, and he got born again. <clears throat> Some of you could be down here. You look good. God knows your heart. You could be down here in this mire, all involved about yourself. You, that could be you. And one thing that I want to share, I mean, I want to challenge us as we go to Seattle. I know it's new for some of you, and there's a little apprehension, but in spite of that, you need a test, you, you have a testimony. But some of you might find, like, I don't even have a testimony. Why don't I have a testimony? Because if I've been snatched out of the miry clay and had my feet upon the rock, I will be able to share what God has done in my heart. It'll, not, that it, not that there's no fear or not that there's no apprehension, but there's something that you have to say to that person. Because the Lord has saved you. In spite of the struggles, maybe you're, you're, maybe you're where this, this man is. He at least has his hands on the rock. He's headed the right direction. That, I asked you, if you, you know, which is the best. We said he is the best. But this one here is at least headed the right direction and experiencing the grace of God upon his life. And maybe that's where you feel you are right now. You're, you're on the rock, but there's still some clay that's down here that needs to be worked away so that I could get my feet up on the rock. And when I get my feet up there, then I'm solid. God's working in his heart and life. And even if you're at this spot, you will still have a testimony for the Lord. Now here is one <clears throat> that understands, has the knowledge, and maybe has his feet on the rock, but there are things in his life or her life that is taking them down back into the miry clay that they were delivered from. 
And that, that happens, and it can happen in our own lives. And that's why it's important, as we look at these subjects about walking in the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, we obey the Spirit, we delight in the Spirit. And when we do those things, it keeps our eyes to the cross. To know that my sins have been taken care of, they're no longer a burden. Or this way, I should say, they're no longer a burden. Burdens are lifted at Calvary is one of a message that I preach different times at places. And Brother Paul remembers me preaching that at, at uh, Effort of Bible School, I guess it was. Are you burdened with sin? You might think, what does this have to do with quenching the Spirit, which I'm assigned this session? I totally missed yielding to the Spirit. Um, bear with uh, I'm sorry. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll touch a little bit on that. And I know some of you had questions about blasphemy of the Spirit. I'd just like to say about the blasphemy of the Spirit. That was in the context of a group of people that were, quote, religious and blaming Christ for using the power of Satan to accomplish what God was actually doing. And I know there's times people say, well, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Um, again, I look at it in its context that it was, he was addressing a group of people that were saying, we are God's people, but not recognizing that the Spirit of God is at work. And there, are, there can be groups that way that are blaspheming because they are not acknowledging that Christ is working in the lives of others and they don't have the Spirit within them so because they feel guilty, they will in turn attack those that have the Spirit within them. And I just want to throw this caution out to be very careful. The Bible is clear to us that there are evil spirits, there's false prophets, and when we see a false prophet, we, I think we readily can stand up and say, that is false. But when it's an area sometimes where I am not too sure what is all happening, I, I, I step back and take a look at it. And one of it had to do with a church that I was in in New York City. I've been in different churches there. <clears throat> I was, the service was totally... Uh, loud music and everything else that goes with it. And it didn't resonate with me. And I thought, Lord, what are you doing here? Because what I did see were the ex-drug addicts, the ex-prostitutes that they reached that I was not able to reach or that we have not been able to reach. And I'm saying, whoa, God, where are you in this? And as I started talking to some of the people that attended the church there, they had no concept of what Mennonite or Anabaptist or Brethren or German Baptist, they had no concept whatsoever of what they believed. They didn't know that there should be none resistant. You know, the, the ministers actually have a responsibility on their hand that they're, that they're not preaching and teaching. And I, I pondered all that, and I thought, you know what, instead of me being critical about what 
I saw they're all negative. Couldn't I somehow, with what God has put in my heart, get close to some of those leaders of those churches and say, look, this is what the Bible teaches. Why don't you start teaching your people some of these things rather than saying, oh, I don't want anything to do with them. We are the light. We are the salt. And don't get the idea that we know it all either. We need to learn from others. So this spirit sometimes can get a little... Is it, a, is it the Holy Spirit or is it an, an evil spirit? You know, when you see it in the lives of people. And I just want to give you uh, a caution. We, we, we rationalize things. We, we, it doesn't quite fit with our theology. Yet at the same time, I do not want to support something that is coming from the wrong side. And that is the devil's side. I want nothing to do with that. I want nothing to do with that. So I guess that's what, uh, how I'll let that with blasphemy. And then we had yield, which I didn't even um, address. Yielding to the Spirit. But I, I, I do need to read a portion of Scripture. Romans chapter 6. We do have a... We talked earlier about the will. Even though God has saved you, God still needs to work through your will. And you have a choice of where you're going to put your loyalty. Your loyalty. And we say, oh, my loyalty is to Christ. Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and are members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered, uh, de which delivered you. Being then made free. Oh, the blessing of freedom in Christ. The, being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. You are, you, today you are either servants of unrighteousness or you are servants of righteousness. And it's your choice. God does not force you to be a servant of righteousness and He doesn't force you to be a servant of unrighteousness. It's a choice on our part. And we allow the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit only has as much movement in our body and in our life, only as much as we allow Him to. And if you continue to quench the Spirit and not yield to the Spirit, eventually you're going to see your spiritual life go backwards. You're, going to, you're not going to grow forward and not, not going to go forward in your, in your body. Now when it comes to yielding to the Spirit, or let, let's talk about being dead a little bit. How dead is dead? <laughs> We're to be dead to, this, to the world. We're to be dead to sin and dead. What, how, how dead is dead? 
Just say. No life. No life. Period. No life. One brother was preaching on this. He said, well then, if you don't know what dead is, ask a dead man sometime. <laughs> there is absolutely no response. And those of you that have laid loved ones in the grave, you know what I'm talking about. You just wish you could talk to them again just a little bit, just, just one more time. But there's no response. You feel their hand, it's cold. When we're dead, we're dead. Physically. Now when, <clears throat> when this sin that is to be dead in our life, if we're not careful, it can actually come back to life again. Like in Romans, it talks about that. Don't quite have the verse right in front of me. But when we are dead to sin, it will not have dominion over you. Doesn't mean you will not be without struggles, but it's not going to be the controlling factor of your life. How many of you <clears throat> have hogs or pigs? Used to? Are you familiar with a hog? How many of you have a, a dog? Oh, most of you have dogs. Good, I've got to start selling dog food out here. My boss owns a dog food business, and I, I take care of all the, the paperwork for all of that. Now, you ever get your dog and put your arm around your dog? Or I'm, I'm a little hesitant because I see people that are substituting their children and things for dogs, and yet it does seem like it's a little more proper to put a dog, to put an arm around a dog. But how many of you have ever gone out to your hog and put your arm around the hog? You have? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there's more people that have pet dogs than they do pet hogs, right? <laughs> but I, I, not too long ago, I, they were, they were, I was at a store handing out dog food samples and they had, it was pet day. And I just happened to hear this, and I looked around, and here there was this little pig on a on a leash, and uh, I said, "Well, I don't know if that would eat my dog food or our dog food or not, but it probably would. You're probably right, probably would. But now you can take a hog, and the Bible talks about this that the sow will go back." To the mire. You can take that hog and you can get the garden hose and you can wash that hog up. If you want to try it sometime, do it. Take a hog, clean it up, and when you have that hog all cleaned, give it an option. Over here you have a blanket and a pillow. <laughs> Over here you have a, a water hole with mud. Where's the hog going to go? To the mud. Why? It's a hog. It's a hog. <laughs> God created hogs, but it's the nature of the hog. So when we become a new creature in Christ, our nature changes. The things that we used to waddle around in and be in the mire 
It is now repulsive to us because we hate it. Do you hate sin? Are you sure you do? I see. The flesh, that's right. The flesh, there's a pull. But we, we have to develop something in our heart. Now, today we're going to see people that are involved in sin. And because we understand what it's like, what it has been like to be in that situation, our heart, instead of being repulsive to them, our heart's going to go out to them because they need to get out of this mire. I have seen some very unsightly people in the little number of years that I've been involved in street work and, and in our, we, we have a children's ministry, our congregation does in Reading. And I remember one man that I met on the street that had tattoos, he had earrings, he had nose rings, he had tongue rings, he, he looked a mess. And I just looked at him with a heart of love and compassion because here was a man that was trying to find fulfillment in something. So when you see those types of people, do not, even though we are somewhat repulsive about what they're doing, their ungodly lifestyle, but because we know what it is to have been there, maybe we never had tattoos, and maybe we were raised in a Christian home, but we were just as lost as what they are. And we came to Christ. So when you see all of that, make sure that you don't develop this attitude that I'm just a little better than what you are. Because you're not going to meet the need of that person. The Pharisees, they walked around. They were out on the streets but they were doing it the wrong way. They were standing in the corners and making it look real good and they were not even interested in the lost. We're not going to be that way today. We're going to live a life that um, in front of these people that shows the love of Christ in our life. <clears throat> now, when we yield our life to the Spirit, Sometimes it takes us into realms that we would maybe not choose to go. Uh, one example of that, and this was shared already, is that Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. God allows things into our life. And yes, it's testings, but it's also a means to shape and mold us into what God wants us to be. So when you're going through some tough times, don't look at it that God has forsaken you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's still there. His presence is still in your heart. And yet He has led you into a realm that you wonder, how am I ever going to get out of this? I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about difficulties. Maybe it's a relationship difficulty. Maybe it's a re uh, working with someone at work or whatever. The list goes on and on. He is allowing you into that, relation, or into that situation to teach you some lessons. That's why things sometimes do not flow. Um, and maybe you find it sometimes in your spiritual life. It seems like we go through desert times. We wonder sometimes, Lord, where's the water? 
Where's the water? And then we will find that stream again and we will start drinking. He did not, God doesn't do everything for us. We need to do our part. Yes, He has saved us, but as we go through life, there will be times when it seems a little dry, but then we will find that spring, that fountain that is, that is flowing forth in, in one's life. That has to do with yielding. Now let's get to quenching the Spirit. <clears throat> I can find my notes here. Just bear with me a little bit. <clears throat> Quench not. Be obedient. Be obedient to the Spirit. And I appreciate it very much, the emphasis on prayer as we go out and, and tell others about what has happened in our heart. And when we do that, the Spirit's going to prod us and we want to be obedient to it. And another phrase that I've really learned to love this week is from a different of you brethren, the administration is, what is God telling you? What are you sensing from the Holy Spirit? And I appreciate that very much. We want to be obedient. We do not want to quench the Spirit. <clears throat> In this miry clay is where we come with this... The, well, we talked about blasphemy. We talked about resisting. And now we're talking about quenching the Spirit. Resisting... It's very, the, the parallel is very uh, similar to that of a child that is under the authority of, of parents. And you, did you ever, I'm, I'm sure you have experienced as a little child and maybe you have siblings. You ever get, you ever see mom or dad tell your brother or sister to do something, you know they just don't want to do it. <laughs> and we think, boy, they should get a spanking, right? <laughs> Because when I was that age, I used to get them. You know, isn't that, exact, isn't that a little bit how it, how it is? You know, and uh, our oldest daughter tells us different times. Our youngest is getting away with a lot more than what she did. And I said, well, I'm not too sure about that. But it could be. Maybe I'm not seeing it. And I want to be open to that. But we look at that and say, Mom or Dad, that needs to be taken care of because there's a resisting that's taking place. That's the same thing that, it, that, that we can do to the Holy Spirit. As He speaks to us, we can develop that resisting. And when you do that resisting, it will actually start... You will, you will also be quenching the Holy Spirit and you will also be grieving. And I realize each one of these is different, but I'm kind of combining some of this because of, of time and, and um, <clears throat> not getting through everything that I, that I would like to. I'm going to read those verses. I talked about the, the, the going back like a, a, a sow going back to the mire. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Peter. It talks about people that are going to say that the Christian life is too full of restrictions and they're going to say you, you need more liberty. You need more, more things that you can do and you can, still all do, you can still do all these things and still be a Christian. 
But Peter is saying here in verse 19 of 2 Peter chapter 2, it says, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought into bondage. And, and I have seen that. I have seen people saying, especially those that have maybe come out of, of a more conservative group, they'll say to you, I got so much more liberty now that I don't have to even be a part of a church. I can live my own life the way I want to, but as I watch their lives, they're under a bondage that they're not aware that they're under of, that, they're, that they are under. And it's a bondage that they are bringing upon themselves. The only true freedom that you have in Christ is when we are willing to be, to be under the, the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ to be under authority wherever God has placed us, and to show by a living example to others that we have the liberty in Christ. Um, in, 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 I used to manage a business before where I, was, where I am now. I've been there five years and seven years prior to that. I was managing a business in, in the corporate world. And the corporate world is not a very friendly world. It's not... A very, even though I had the respect of many people in the corporate world, there still was um, a bondage or something that, that came along with that. But what I wanted to say is this, is that this, the, the, there were certain guidelines that they did ask for the employees. And the ones I thought we should lift some of these things were the ones that were most totally in bondage to other things in their life. That they, they, and they would look at me and say, you as a Christian, you seem so happy all the time. Well, I said, I'm not as happy all the time as maybe as I appear, but you know, they couldn't, they couldn't make this, this understanding that I, I don't go along with them to drink. I don't go along with them to their parties and things that they had. Um, you know, they would invite me along, especially if we were traveling, doing uh, some things. Uh, I used to attend a show that had to do with trucks. And in the evenings, um, they would, they would have their party life, and I would go back and be, be by myself and appreciate it very much what Russ had said to us young men about putting, if you're traveling or whatever, to put their Bible above the TV, you know, that that television needs to stay off, and I was faithful in that. I, I'm, I'm so thankful for that, to be able to, to uh, you know, not fill myself with things, even though it might have been news or whatever. Sometimes news can take us under. You know, we get so wrapped up in oh, what's happening in Israel or what's happening here or what's happening there that if we're not careful, we, we have a tendency of losing the joy of the Lord. They were in bondage. They were, okay, come on, John. Come on with us. You don't know what... But the next morning when I would see them, they were not happy at all. They were sick. They were uh, vomiting. And the Bible says that... The Bible... I know vomit is not something nice to talk about, but I want to give you an assignment. Go in the Bible and find out how many times it does talk about vomit. It says they even lay in their own vomit. They go back to their own vomit. A dog does, but it says what it means is they, 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 they just don't get tired of it. They're in bondage to something that they can't take care of themselves. They were so, so sick. <clears throat> After one show, I was traveling in the state of New York and stopped in at a customer that had not been down at the show at all, and he came to me. His father came to me. I'd never met him before, and he shook my hand. 
John, nice to meet you. I hear you only drink milk. <laughs> I looked at him and said, what were you? He said, I heard all about you. You were at a show and all the others went out to drink, but you wouldn't. And he was respectful of that. They're in a bondage. And I want you to know that the Christian life even though you're a part of a church that maybe you think sometimes is just a little too strict, I want you to know there is freedom there that you will not experience out in the world. You will not experience it anywhere else. <clears throat> Let's turn to Psalm 40 again. We had talked about Psalm 39 and Psalm 40 the other day. And now we're going to Psalm 40 here. Psalmist David, because that fire was in his heart, he had to speak, and he cried out to the Lord for mercy. And in chapter, I mean, in, in Psalm 40, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my heart, even the praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Many shall see it. They are watching you. They are able to see by your life that you fear God and that you trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I will declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. All the blessings of God, it's more than what we're able to number. It's such, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and you will see what, the, how is it, what Christ has done. Let's sing a verse of that. You know it? Go ahead. Life's billows, you are tempest-tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Are you ever with a load of care? Seem heavy, you are called to share. Count your many blessings, save <laughs> The Lord knows those words. Just hum. Do what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. 
Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Now turn to Matthew chapter 16. A couple more thoughts here before we read a verse about quenching, not quenching the Spirit. With everything that you see taking place today, some of you have friends that have given up. Churches are dividing. People are just throwing in the towel. How many of you really believe that God is still building His church today? Thank you. If you really believe that, you will live it. And you will not get discouraged with everything that is happening. God is building His church. He says that. In Matthew chapter 16, it says... Or he was asking the question, or Jesus was asking the question to Simon Peter. He said, or who do men say that I am? He was asking his disciples, and some said that he was John the Baptist. Others said he was Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter, verse 16, answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. But my people which is in, uh, I'm sorry, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And, and some would say that that is referring that the church is built upon Peter. But if you look at the meaning of the name Peter and the meaning of the word rock, it's two different Greek, Greek words. Peter means little rock. This here other rock is a big rock, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged to his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Upon this rock... I will build my church. It's a promise that he is going to build his church. It says that the gates of hell. Why didn't he say the fences of hell? You ever ponder that? Why does he say gates? The gates of hell will never prevail against it. He could have used some other terminology. Does anyone have a thought on that? Gates, go ahead, Denny. Uh, gates are to keep the enemy out. Right. Satan is on the defensive. Right. Is on the okay, good. Any more thoughts on that? Gates, like in the story of uh, Boaz and Ruth, represent uh, wisdom and the council. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you. Any others? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. John, you raise cattle, right? If you just have a gate there at the pasture, no fence, would it? Would they stay in? I'm just going to share this with you, and I, I, I want you to know I agree with what was shared. The gates have to do with um, the dividing between what's good and bad. But we, 
A gate is worthless without a fence. And sometimes we build fences where Satan can place his gates. Fences and differences of relationship, fences of differences of churches, fences of differences of... And then, I'll explain this way. We have a relationship problem. We're going to build a fence. And Satan comes and places his gate. He's dividing brothers. Same can happen to you, between you and I. A gate itself, if we don't have the fence, the gate has no effect. But we build the fences. Just something for you to ponder. And I agree with what, uh, what, other, what other was shared. It's just another, another angle that I... Maybe I'm confusing you with that. Are you, are you following what, what I... What I oh, okay, thanks. <clears throat> now those verses in verse 19... Those verses I have heard preached in, from different angles um, to say that somehow we have the keys of heaven, that whatever we agree upon, that God will use as, as uh, the deciding factor. And here again, we get so caught up in some of this that we quench the Spirit. And we should be able to come, when it comes to building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be able to come into the presence of, of His people and there should be nothing about us that we are going to quench the Spirit in the working of a, of, of, of a service, a worship service with the Lord. I get into different churches and I, I come into some churches sometimes where I sense the Spirit of God is being quenched because relationships or something's not right. And sometimes I can't put my finger on it because I don't know anything about the group. But it doesn't take you long until you sense if the Spirit of the God, if the Spirit of the living God is present or not. And there's something that's causing that. There's quenching that is taking place. And 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it talks about that we are not to quench the Spirit of God. Nothing in our life is to quench the Spirit of God. And when I feel that in congregations, I think that's not where it starts. It's just that there's somewhere in the lives of these people that are out living on a daily basis, somewhere they are quenching the Spirit of God and that's why the Spirit of God cannot be present in a worship service. It's not just happening in the church. I look at it as a, as a problem in their everyday living. And in their everyday living, somewhere they are quenching this Spirit. Now I thought of bringing a candle and I have done this before, but my fingers are not as tough as they used to be. But I used to take a, a candle and would be able to go to the flame and go like this and quench it. That's what we do spiritually sometimes. The flame is burning. You sing that song about letting your light shine. Whatever we do today, don't quench the Spirit of God. Too many times when God is working, we, something comes up that we quench it and the light doesn't shine. We are to be the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that it giveth light. 
We need to let our light shine, even with the quenching. Even when we are tempted to quench the Spirit. If you're quenching the Spirit, you're like this man here. You're looking the wrong way. You're looking back to your old life. And we... Quench means to extinguish. And sometimes you might have the Spirit of God within your heart and you feel that you are doing exactly what God is telling you. And here comes somebody with a fire extinguisher. That's discouraging. Especially if you felt the presence of God. And, and the question was asked, what was it, the first session about can we trust our, our, our inward? Um, we can with the checks and balances that the Scripture gives. The Word of God, under authority, under leadership. And sometimes we, we do all that, and here comes somebody with this fire extinguisher, and it seems like they have big fire extinguishers. They're not just these little ones that, are at, that you get and put under a sink. They come with these, the one the, fi the firefighters carry around. And our spirit is quenched. Rise up above that. Not everyone is going to understand. Especially if it's someone that does not have the Spirit within them. We all are sitting here thinking we're all full of the Holy Spirit. But there's a good possibility there's some that are not. Don't even understand what the Spirit is. And I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I'm just trying to be real and honest with you. Some of you might not be ready. want you to ponder all that. Let's read that verse in 1 Thessalonians. For us to really understand 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to start reading at verse 1 of chapter 5. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. It's not going to be a surprise to you when the Lord returns, is how I understand that verse. It's not going to take you, even though we do not know the exact day, hour, whenever Christ is going to return, He's not going to overtake us as a thief overtakes someone that is least expecting it. I'm expecting the return of Christ. It could be today. 
I don't know when he's going to return. Ye are also the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of that day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now who exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Um, despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you. And notice the latter part of that verse. Who will do it? He not only has called you, but He has put His Spirit within you that you will be able to do whatever He calls you to do. It blesses my heart. Brethren, pray for us. Give all the brothers, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Quench not the Spirit. Prove all things. If we quench not the spirit, we are going to preserve, have a preserved spirit, soul, and body until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And before some of those other verses we read, it talked about whether we're asleep or whether we're awake, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as often as ye do. You know, Jesus is returning sometime. But because the Holy Spirit is within us, He is living within us, it's not going to be a surprise. But it's going to be a surprise to those that are not waiting for the appearance of the Lord. <clears throat> I'd like to talk about this cross a little, a little more here. The Lord Jesus Christ died on that cross so that you can experience what we're talking about. That was a cruel cross. And I have a number of messages on the cross, and I was preaching about how what, 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 what Jesus did as He hung on that cross, what all He went through in, a, in bodily pain before He said it is finished. If you study Luke, Luke was a physician. And if you study the accounts of Luke, it gives a very detail of what Christ went through for you, for you and I. And I'm just going to point one of those out. 
is they knew how to fasten a person on the cross. It was not a pleasant experience. There was more pain than just the, the nails that went through their, through their hands. One man told me, he said, I don't even think that there were nails. He was just tied there. I said, the Bible says that the nails went through his hand and Thomas asked for evidence and Jesus showed his nail-scarred hands. So there was nails involved. How they had exactly his name's uh, nails, some say that it was above his head, some were out like this. But they hung him in a way that it was hard to breathe. Or the pain was so great that when, when, when they would be on the cross, the pain was that uh, great when they would put the pressure on their, on their feet or whatever. It would be so great that they would let go and hang by their hands and then they couldn't breathe. And then because they couldn't breathe, they had to get their next breath, they would push up and and because of the pain was so great, they would hang again. And it was a constant back and forth. <gasps> you, know. you know, we look at the cross and we say, you know, He died for me. But picture yourself standing at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to hear Him, maybe gasp for breath. You know, I don't know what... I'm sure He, he says they threw Him down on the cross. But He was so resigned, He would have... He probably would have laid down on the cross himself. But he, he, was, he went through all that so that you and I can have our sins forgiven. And I don't know if there was any moaning or anything that went when they... When they uh, I just think of the pain of, of, of those nails. He did it for your salvation. And when he said those words, it is finished says he gave up the ghost and he became the perfect sacrifice so that you and I can experience that we are able to walk in the spirit that we are able to yield to the spirit that we are able to be filled with the spirit we are able to obey the spirit and we're able to delight in the spirit he did it for you and I so why do we resist Him? Why do we at times quench the Spirit? Why at times do we grieve the Spirit? Where's the problem? It's myself. We get in the way. We get in the way too many times. Quench not the Spirit. If God is speaking to you this week, don't quench His Spirit. I have no greater joy than to see God working the hearts of young people. If there's dirt in there, there's mire, there's something that needs to be taken care of, He will set you free. That doesn't mean you are, you know, um, saints need to get cleaned up too. Grandpas need to get cleaned up. I'm a grandpa. I. There's times I need to get cleaned up. Grandmas do too. Parents do. And I just want to give you the encouragement that as God has been speaking to us this week through our brothers, tremendous teachings, and how it has been explained, I just pray that if God is working in your heart and you know that something needs to be taken care of,
that your walk is not close to the Lord, I ask you, I plead with you to get right. And again, another way to know is as we leave here in a few minutes to go to Seattle, whether you have a testimony or not. I'm not talking about this thing of fear and you know uncertainty because it's new. I'm talking about the testimony. And it doesn't have to be a glowing testimony, but that you know you have been you were lost and that you have been saved. And to be able to tell that with others.